our prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit illumine our hearts and our minds that we might receive your word this day for us, that we would be comforted and challenged and strengthened according to your goodwill and purposes for our church. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Our Old Testament reading today is a uh, scripture is uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 58 verses 1 through 12. The Lord says, shout as loud as you can. Tell my people Israel about their sins. They worship me every day, claiming that they are eager to know my ways and obey my laws. They say they want me to give them just laws and that they take pleasure in worshiping me. The people ask, why should we fast if the Lord never notices? Why should we go without food if he pays no attention? The Lord says to them, the truth is that at the same time you fast, you pursue your own interests and oppress your workers. Your fasting makes you violent and you quarrel and fight. Do you think this kind of fasting will make me listen to your prayers? When you fast, you make yourself suffer. You bow your heads low like a blade of grass and spread out sackcloth and ashes to lie on. Is that what you call fasting? Do you think I will be pleased with that? The kind of fasting I want is this. Remove the chains of oppression and the yoke of injustice and let the oppressed go free. Share your food with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse to help your own relatives. Uh, then my favor will shine on you like the morning sun and I, your wounds will be quickly healed. I will always be with you to save you. My presence will protect you on every side. When you pray, I will answer you. When you call to me, I will respond. If you put an end to oppression, to every gesture of contempt and every evil word, if you give food to the hungry and satisfy those who are in need, then the darkness around you will turn to the brightness of noon. And I will always guide you and satisfy you with good things. I will keep you strong and well. You will be like a garden that has been Plenty of water, like a spring of water that never goes dry. Your people will rebuild what has long been in ruins, building again on the old foundations. You will be known as the people who rebuilt the walls, who restored the ruined houses. Uh, psalm today is Psalm 112, uh, verses 1 through 10 is the responsive reading. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. <coughs> the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. 
They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. Uh, reading an epistle this morning, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. When I came to you, my brothers, to preach God's secret truth, I did not use big words and great learning. For while I was with you, I made up my mind to forget everything except Jesus Christ, and especially his death on the cross. So when I came to you, I was weak and trembled all over with fear. And my teaching and message were not delivered with skillful words of human wisdom, but with convincing proof of the power of God's Spirit. Your faith, then, does not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Yet I do proclaim a message of wisdom to those who are spiritually mature, but it is not the wisdom that belongs to this world or to the powers that rule this world, powers that are losing their power. The wisdom I proclaim is God's secret wisdom, which is hidden from mankind, but which he had already chosen for our glory, even before the world was made. None of the rulers of this world knew his wisdom. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as the scripture says, what no one ever saw or heard, what no one ever thought could happen, is the very thing God prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God made known his secret by means of his spirit. The spirit searches everything, even the hidden depths of God's purposes. It is only a person's own spirit within him that knows all about him. In the same way, only God's spirit knows all about God. We have not received this world's spirit. Instead, we have received the spirit sent by God so that we may know all that God has given us. So then we do not speak in word, words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, as we explain spiritual truths to those who have the Spirit. Whoever does not have the Spirit cannot receive the gifts that come from God's Spirit. Such a person really does not understand them. They are nonsense to him because their value can be judged only by a, on a spiritual basis. Whoever has a Spirit, however, is able to judge the value of everything and no one is able to judge him. As the scripture says, who knows the mind of the Lord, who is able to give him advice? We, whoever, have the mind of Christ. And reading from the gospel, the gospel of Matthew, chapter five, verses 13 to 20. You are like salt for all mankind, but if salt loses its saltiness, there is no way to make it salty again. It has become worthless, so that it is thrown out and people trample on it. You are like light for the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on the lampstand, where it gives light for everyone in the house. In the same way, your light must shine before the people so that they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to do away with the law of Moses and the teachings of the prophets. 
I have not come to do away with them, but to make their teachings come true. Remember that as long as heaven and earth last, not the least point nor the smallest detail of the law will be done away with, not until the end of all things. So then, whoever disobeys even the least important of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be least in the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, whoever obeys the law and teaches others to do the same will be great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you then that you will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven only if you were more faithful than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in doing what God requires. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends, I have to admit that um, I have uh, for a long time enjoyed food. Uh, not just any food. I, in fact, I, I like my own cooking. Um, I, can, I'm a, I love to cook. I love to eat. And uh, for my sins, I have found myself now at 50 years old in spin class on Saturday mornings with a group of very dedicated, very athletic women who are triathletes. And let me tell you, I'm nothing, nothing close to being a triathlete. But I go, it's almost cult-like. They work so hard, they are so dedicated. They're in the pool at 6.30 in the mornings and they swim laps for an hour and a half and then they jump on this stationary bike for 45 minutes. And that's when I join them. And then when I'm finished after 45 minutes, I'm finished and looking for breakfast. They, on the other hand, are going out for 10 to 16 kilometer run. It's, I would think, fairly insane. I refuse to be uh, drawn into this. Although I know they want to convert me. They're trying so hard. They're saying, John, maybe, you know, there's a little mini triathlon coming up. It's a 400 meter swim and a two kilometer five-kilometer run and an eight-kilometer bike ride. They call it a bike ride. They don't call it a race. I won't be fooled. But so here I am, at 50 years old, reading Jeffrey Steingarten's book, The Man Who Ate Everything. And what he tells me in that book is that salt or sodium chloride is the most sublime of all minerals. And I love salt. I put salt on almost everything. Some people have tried to tell me that salt's not good for me, but I don't believe them. You know, salt is the only mineral we mine and eat directly from the earth. It's also true that without salt, we die. And worse, 
our food would be bland and dull and without life. So what is salt to me? It is life. Did you know that the earliest roads were built to transport salt? Governments taxed salt. Military battles were fought to ensure supplies of salt. With passive resistance, Gandhi marched to the sea in India to make salt in defiance of British law. The British people, the British government said that no unauthorized persons could make salt because it was taxed. Gandhi led a whole country in defiance of Great Britain and marched to the sea to make salt. And it became a flashpoint for civil disobedience because they refused to pay their salt tax. And thus, the truth of the matter is, Great Britain lost two colonies, one over, one over salt and one over tea. Both were taxed. Think about that. <laughs> Jesus begins his discourse this morning by saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are, not maybe, not, well, if you do all of these things, I might consider you to be salt of the earth. But when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he begins with, you are the salt of the earth. If someone was to describe one of your best characteristics as you are the person who makes what is good better and deepens both the hope and joy of those around you, would that describe you? You are the person who makes what is good better and deepens both the hope and joy of those around you. You are the salt of the earth. How do you think the community sees us and perceives us? Are we the salt of the earth? Are we the people that make everything better by being mixed up in them and with them Some of our brothers and sisters in, in certain denominations have always said, don't be part of the world. Stay separate from them. Nothing good can come out of being mixed up in the world. And yet, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And we know that salt, if it's going to be helpful, can't sit in a box beside the stove. It has to be mixed in with the food. You know, salt controls the ripening of cheeses. It preserves meat. It sharpens and defines flavors and takes what is bland and dull and adds complexity and aroma. Jesus drives home the idea that we are salt. 
We are that which Ferrer Capon describes salt in his cookery book as this. Salt is the music of cookery, the indispensable baseline over which all tastes and smells form their harmonies. I hope there's no physicians in here, but I, I just simply point out I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm plugging salt. If we are to be the salt of the world, we are going to be those indispensable baselines over which all tastes and smells form their harmonies. We're going to be involved in our community. We're going to be involved with one another. All of us go into the mix together as particular grains, but we're all in it together. American religion right now is becoming more and more divided. Christian fundamentalists, on the one hand, mainstream Christians on the other. I wonder who is providing the true salt. One careens towards xenophobia and nationalism and fear, is that what Jesus called us to be? People who feared others, people who feared being good neighbors, people who feared one another. No, in Christ we become the constant for those who have lost hope, those seeking peace and strength in situations of overwhelming despair. As those who love the Lord are mixed into the world, people begin to see Christ's people doing things like feeding the hungry, loving the refugee, tending the sick, visiting the elderly and those in prison. And then when we make the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, Suddenly, that makes sense, that Jesus is Lord. He loves people. He loves our community. He calls us into the body of Christ, his body, the church. For so long, as Protestants, we have downgraded the importance of the church. How many times, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, I can get my religion out for a walk. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Religion doesn't come from walking in the woods. Perhaps a spiritual refresher but the true body of Christ is here, in this place, in worship, giving glory to Almighty God as the people of God. That's one thing the Roman Catholics can continue to teach us, the importance of being grounded in the body of the living Christ. 
the importance of worship. Here, we learn how to live together, to mix and be the salt of the earth. We take time to visit with one another, to fellowship with people who call themselves members and adherents. We invite people to sit and enjoy their lives with us. Far too often, we forget that it is together we are the salt of the earth, that we are collectively the body of Christ. We proclaim Jesus as Lord to a generation that has, by and large, forgotten what that means. There is no context for many to understand what it means to proclaim or to believe that Jesus is Lord. It's gone. I remember when I was young, my mother didn't attend church, but she said, you're going to church, you're going to Sunday school, and you're not going to miss. Ah. I didn't like that. I didn't like it at all. Now, the generation before, I know that my grandparents took all of my mother's family to church, whether they liked it or not. But when it came to my mother, she said, well, I'm not going, but you are. Well, in my innocence, one morning, my mother wasn't helping me get dressed, so I went to church with Mrs. Bannerman on a nice sunny spring day in shorts, rubber boots, and sunglasses. And when I returned home from church, my mother, horrified, said, I can't ever let that happen again. <laughs> and soon after, my mother once again became a faithful member of St. Paul's. It was good for her, and it was good for me. But if you were to ask parents today, what do you do? They wouldn't say, well, for the most part, we send our children to Sunday school and we attend, or we don't attend, but our children go to Sunday school. Nobody goes to Sunday school, or very rarely do anyone go to Sunday school. And so the very foundations of our faith, the very things that we're taught at a very young age just simply don't exist anymore. And I don't point that out to say you guys have failed any more than I have failed with my children. But I am saying this, that the church is a very important part of our lives. We can never underestimate what we learn here and how we learn here and what we're called to do here in the community. This is not like any other place. If it was, then there wouldn't be a need for a church. We could do whatever we wanted on a Sunday morning. But the fact of the matter is, this is the living body of Christ in the world. This is different than the Rotary Club. And this is certainly different than any other thing that you might find. 
There is a beauty and a splendor in worshiping Almighty God and learning. What is it that we want people to learn? What is it that we want people in this community to know? And sometimes we can make it really confusing, you know? Some, some preachers want to make it really confusing. But let me, let me tell you this. This is what we want people to know. I get sidetracked sometimes when I'm preaching. I remember one time a Baptist minister during an election, I was listening to him preach, and he said, do you want to know how to vote? I'll tell you how to vote. And he told the whole congregation how they should vote. This isn't the same thing. I'm not telling you about politics, but I don't apologize for what I'm about to tell you. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We proclaim that Jesus forgives sin. And we proclaim that Jesus died and rose again. And that he loves us and that he will return. But in the meantime, we have a comfortable hope. We have a very comfortable hope. Let me read to you what Jesus said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is what Jesus gives to people. This is why we're called to be the salt of the earth. For surely, where we are going out in the world, and we're mixed up in this wild and crazy world, and being our best selves, being the living body of Christ in the world, there is hope, hope in Jesus Christ. There is a peace that he alone can give our frantic neighbors, our neighbors who have lost their way. I'm gonna end with this. I, I spend some of my hours every week uh, working as a psychotherapist. That's also what I do. And as a psychotherapist, I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, young and old alike, who have completely lost hope. If I say, what grounds you in life? They look at me and they honestly say, I don't know. And I'm not exaggerating. I don't know. I have no idea what brings me meaning. It's not like we're going out into a world that says we have all the answers. We're not. The proclamation that we're making is very valuable today, even more so than ever, I believe. Jesus meets people where they are, and he brings healing, and he brings hope. 
That's good news. People need to hear that today. Let us resolve to take St. Andrews back into our community, even more so than it is now, to proclaim boldly that Jesus loves them and that together we are stronger than we are alone. Amen.